This is Grilled, the Staff Canteen podcast for chefs. My name is Cara Houchin, editor of the Staff Canteen, and in this episode we chat to Dave Wall from The Unruly Pig. He's this month's chef to watch, and this episode is in association with British specialty growers Westlands. Our deputy editor, Tani Dawn Hiscox, finds out more about Dave's career, his current role, and why the fire just 12 weeks after opening was nearly the end of this award-winning pub. Hi everyone, we are talking to Dave Wall today. He is the head chef at The Unruly Pig recognised in the Australia Top 50 UK Gastropub Guide, the Michelin Guide, the Good Food Guide, and recently named the Best Pub Restaurant Chef of the Year by the Craft Guild of Chefs. Hello, Dave. Hello. So like lots of successful chefs, you didn't actually set out to be a chef. As a young man, you worked in kitchens while you travelled the world. Was there a pivotal moment when you realised that this was, in fact, your calling? Um, I don't think it was so much a pivotal moment. Um, as you say, I'd sort of I'd been travelling, spent a year living in Australia, a year living in Canada, um, and really I just needed some um, some beer tokens, to be honest. So um, yeah, started in the pot wash, and like like many guys from the pot wash, sort of get dragged in to do um, cover the garnish one day or something like that. Um, you know, when when the chef went off ill or something. Um, so I sort of ended up cooking like that, and I still didn't think it was something that I was going to do as a as a career. Um, but then I t- it just grew on me really, and I I, um, I mean those first kitchens I worked in were hardly the height of uh, culinary affairs, but I came across and worked alongside a couple of pretty decent chefs that were perhaps taking a year out from their career proper in order to go traveling and have a bit of fun um and just sort of got a bit inspired by them really just the more i learned about cooking and i always liked banging pots around and moving around with the buzz of service but but as i started to learn how to actually make things and produce things that's when i I got hooked yeah and since then you've worked at some pretty high caliber restaurants within the the boxwood cafe the talbus um was there any point where it was so tough that you thought, okay, this, you know, this is not what I signed up to, um, <laughs> I might pack it in? And if so, how did you overcome that? Um, I think all chefs have a bit of a wobble at some stage. Um, I have to say, I never seriously looked into packing it in, but there are many times when you sort of just absolutely exhausted um, and just questioned, God, can I keep doing this? Um, And I think for the first five or six years um, that I was cooking properly, professionally, with it dead set on being my career, um, there were a lot of times when I was just, oh, am I definitely going to keep doing this? But as I became more senior, I just, you know, I became a senior sous chef and then, knew I wanted to be a head chef and I was like no, I don't mind it actually it's, I enjoy the career so much that the hours don't bother me so um, so no no I've, yeah I've had my wobbles but I'm pretty dead set on it yeah so what was the thought process that helped you see it through um, I think it's just an internal drive really um, and you know you've either got that drive or you haven't um and it's funny as you work in kitchens you know everybody's going through the same 
just got to keep pushing that sort of mentality battle in their own head and you can almost see the ones that get a buckle and, and not make it through particularly in the boxwood around these kitchens like you could you saw people start and you're like you're not even making the mm. week mate like there's just no way you're going to get through and they do they just they just don't turn up for work the next day they disappear they, they get ghost and uh they leave their knives behind sometimes worth hundreds hundreds of pounds thousands of pounds even you know they they just go they just literally just bolt it and it's like oh. wow. yeah. so do you think it takes certain character traits to to be able to be a yeah it, yeah it does if it's especially if you're going to go and work in um, an environment like that which i do think is a critical environment um to put yourself in at some stage in your sort of formative years you know go and work in some tougher kitchens because it's going to build a kind of mental stability and focus for when you then sort of step up as a senior chef i mean i i I could never predict how hard it was going to be when i took on a head chef role i honestly thought i was like as ready as i could be and yeah I'm, i'm pretty well geared up for this you know i'd spent four years as a sous chef five years as a sous chef like you Little did you know. No, I did, <laughs> did not realise how hard it was going to be. Yeah. But so, so, how long have you been at the Unruly Pig? Um, we opened uh, just over four years ago, March yeah. 2015. Um, so I opened it up from the start, mm-hmm. um, and it was quite hard getting off the ground. And then we had, you know, like any new opening is, um, and then. Just 12 weeks in, we had a um, pretty terrible fire um, overnight, one night, and uh, that rendered us shut for five, nearly six months. Um, So, obviously, when it happened, we had to ask the question, God, are we going to do this? Are we going to get it reopened? Um, Didn't take long to decide we would, um, which was a difficult process, but then reopening again um, was even tougher because we reopened in December um, so got fully hit by the Christmas rush um, and when you first open up you you have a little bit of slack people understand that you're um, a new place and you know if there's a few slip ups with, with a with a carefully worded apology and you know a bit of grace you, you can get away with it but Somehow or another, even though we were reopening all over again, there was almost like a level of expectation that we would we would perform, and that was that was particularly uh, difficult. We reopened, we were full every day, um, and yeah, that was tough. Yeah, well, that leads on nicely to my next question, which is that because of the nature of uh, the kitchen that you're working in, you're working in a gastropub, which I imagine is quite different in many ways. Um, to working in a classical restaurant in terms of the sheer numbers and the expectations that your customers have. Why is it that you chose to go down that path? Um, yeah, I mean, to be fair, even though I've worked in some higher-end restaurants, all of them have been quite fairly high volume. I've never worked in a kind of a 30-cover site or anything like that. You know, Boxwood, we were doing 200-cover services, um, Claridge's, not quite that many, but, you know, 150. Um, yeah. At the toll booth, we do 130 on a Saturday night. So the sort of the, the aspect of volume and still trying to deliver quality wasn't a new concept to me, so it wasn't a million miles away from what I'd done. Um, it's quite... What does present a bit of a difficulty is 
you know, we try and have quite a wide offering um, because we want to be accessible and informal and somewhere people can come on a Tuesday lunch and not feel like it's a huge occasion or something they need to save up for, you know, run a good value set menu and have a burger on the menu and things like that, just, just you know, to make it really easy for casual dining, but then kind of have to be a chameleon and then on Friday, Saturday evenings, even midweek evenings, people that are coming for their birthdays or their anniversaries or for a nice meal out with friends they haven't seen for a while and we sort of have to morph into um, not quite fine dining but certainly in terms of what we're trying to do with food um, meanwhile the table on the other side of the restaurant's just popped in for a burger and trying to get them all um, working together is, is a huge challenge um, I have to say but you know I mean we <laughs> we try but it is uh, it's, it's pretty tough yeah well, the, the very idea of a gastropub is something that's not only quintessentially British, but is relatively new. What? How do you see the future of? Do you, do you think that there's more of an appetite for that kind of experience where customers want something in between that sort of refined, good quality, but also something that's quite casual where they can go, you know, they can go in shorts and flip flops if they feel like I, it. Yeah, I, I do see it continuing. Um, it's just the evolution of the pub, really. I think. Um, winding back 15 years or so whenever it was when the smoking ban start started that kind of for me other than in some city centers and you know of course there's anomalies the the old age drinking pub you know wipe your feet on the way in is, is kind of dead and buried because there's not a lot of money in in selling a pint of beer now and people really overnight just stopped coming to the pub when that smoking ban came in and that that's yeah. when the the for me the the born of the food pub the gastro pub really started to take off um because pubs needed to look at themselves and say okay how are we going to survive and what are we going to do um you know and that that's where really i think that they started to reinvent themselves and and everybody's visualization of what a pub is about in england probably changed somewhat then of course there are still the drinking pubs but Generally, if you're starting up a new place, unless you really are in an urban environment, you're not going to set up a purely wet-led pub, really, because um, you're just probably not going to make it, really. But um, and yeah, I think the growth of casual dining is uh, these things go in cycles as such. Um, but I mean, you can see how many high-end operators, Michelin star chefs, are sort of bringing the death of the tablecloth, if you like, um, and trying to deformalize their restaurants. Um, because, you know, I think they recognize that that's where the trend has gone. Um, and people people like to feel like not intimidated about going to a restaurant um, and, and to have a nice casual setting in which to still enjoy good food. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so um, moving on to my next topic, uh, which is going to focus a little bit more on equipment and techniques and stuff in the kitchen. Uh, I read somewhere that you're not much for endorsing modern cooking techniques and fads. So what, for you, makes up the staple of the, the tools and equipment that you use on a daily basis? Um, no, you're absolutely right. I don't find too many fads. I sort of, um, my background you know, is kind of rooted in classical French. Um, who, uh, sure, they're, they're not scared of a gadget, but 
you know, I like the core principles of um, good good workmanship, <laughs> using whole animals, um, honouring honouring the whole animal, you know, and good solid cooking. I, I I love cast iron pans, foaming butter, garlic, and thyme. Um, you know, roasting and and just for me, it's, it's just imparts so much flavour. Um, and whilst there are certain um, uses for water baths and fat packing which are, are very useful um, when it comes to meat and fish I just I really do like um, the traditional methods I just think they ultimately get the best flavor from your products um, so yeah I mean the the most useful tools in our kitchen really are a butcher saw you know uh, an oven a stove and a pan really they're the ones that we um, we rely on the, the, the most the unruly pig. And do you use a do you use a charcoal fire grill, right? Yeah, we yeah we've got a, a charcoal fired Inca grill, um, which is great. You know, it's sort of we don't have a huge kitchen um, or a huge stove. Um, we're trying to get quite a few covers out of there, and this thing fires at 400 degrees plus. Um, and that said, we've got the burger on the menu. We've also got a steak on the menu. And, both of them love being cooked on charcoal, but it's also great for grilling fish and even sometimes for pan work. You know, there's times when we might start a pan on the stove and just to create a bit more space, we might then just pop it in the inker, obviously not for very long, um, or even just actually on top of the, the vents where the, the heat comes off is a great place to tick things over because there's so much heat emitting from the from the vents. So... You know, it's a pretty useful tool um, for us, um, and it just does have a really nice flavour for meat and fish. Yeah. Um, that sort of answers part of my next question, but I'm sure you have others. Do you have any tricks and techniques that you would recommend, not just to make life easier, but that sort of go a long way in terms of improving the flavour and the quality of the food that you're sending out in the kitchen? Um, it's it's nothing new, not reinventing the wheel here, but wherever possible, cooking on the bone um, or larger pieces of meat that are then carved, um, I think is the ultimate way to create flavour. And also, you know, if you can, cooking those bits and pieces off earlier so they get a chance to rest, you know, that can be quite a challenge for us because we also don't want the meat sitting around for hours, you know, it needs to be served within a reasonable time. Um, otherwise, it can then start to deteriorate and dry out past that. But you know, it's, if you where you've got larger pieces of meat, where you've got the bone to protect it, it just can just create such a better cook on the meat um, or the fish, and you know, it creates more succulence. It's there to protect it. Um, and I, I just, yeah, I just like methods like that. Mm-hmm. And finally, if you could give your younger self and any aspiring chef a piece of advice on how to lead a successful and fulfilling career, what would that be? Um, I think the the first thing any aspiring and young chef needs to do is make peace with the fact they're going to work hard. If they're reaching for all the dizzy heights but are not prepared to put in the graft, it's, that formula does not work. It, it, it won't work. They they need to make peace with the fact that they're going to work hard and actually just thrive off of it, um, and just keep pushing really because you know it can test you um, and it, it it can be hard. But 
you know, you need to have your goal in mind. Um, for most, that will be running their own kitchen, not for everybody. But, you know, even if it might be that you want to be the best pastry chef and go and work in a, in a great one-star, two-star, even three-star, you know, that that might be your goal or focus. But get your goal in mind and work hard towards it and, and try not to waver, I think, is the, the best way to go about it. Excellent. Very wise words. Well, thanks very much, Dave. Yeah, thank you. I think that just about wraps it up. Perfect. Thank you very much. Brilliant. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this interview. And if you have any comments, feel free to tweet us or comment on the post. Uh, we're making all of our interviews available to download. The next episode is with Alex Claridge, owner of The Wilderness in Birmingham. He started cooking at uni with the hope of getting girls to sleep with him. Intrigued? We were. And finally, if you like what we do, whether it's our podcast or our videos or even our features, please head over to our Patreon page and support us there.